Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. appreciate the great gift of freedom because in that moment our freedom felt challenged or maybe even perhaps lost for just a moment and so we began to appreciate and not take for granted the gift of freedom. As Americans it seems to me that uh, we're particularly proud of our freedom, amen. Uh, I can tell that because we march We march for our freedom, we celebrate our freedom, we rally around our freedom, and in a lot of cases, we even hold it up as the model for all the other cultures in the world. You ought to be like us because this is what freedom looks like. And I I think also, sometimes if we're not careful, as Americans, we act as if we're the only people that have ever savored or tasted freedom. And I could take you throughout history and show you that that's not true. But what I want to do this morning, just quickly, I just want to give you four examples found in Scripture, two in the Old, two in the New Testament, that just show you that that there are other people who were shackled in harsh chains of bondage and in some cases even in the depths of slavery, and yet they too experienced freedom. Let me just mention them to you. I won't read them to you. Don't don't want to take time to do that this morning, but many of you will know the stories. Some of you may not be as familiar, so let me give you references this morning. The first one is found in Exodus chapter 12, and again, I'm not going to read it to you. You can find it, Exodus chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, verse 35 and 36. It's one of the earliest accounts of freedom experienced by people. It is the account of the children of Israel after spending over 400 years in slavery. They are in complete and total bondage to the Egyptian powers, their taskmasters, they're, they're, they're ruthless, they're brutal to the children of Israel. They have them slaving away, building uh, pyramids with uh, bricks with no straw to make it even harder. And after 400 years of this, where they've been mistreated and abused as slaves, as bound men, as people not experiencing freedom, All of a sudden, God intervenes. They begin to cry out to God, and God intervenes and sends a deliverer, a stuttering deliverer by the name of Moses. And you know the account. Moses strolls in, and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And almost overnight, it seems like, it wasn't quite overnight because we know that the Pharaoh had a hard heart, but over a a period of uh, plagues and demonstrations of God's power, eventually Pharaoh relented, and the children of Israel, those that had been in slavery, now march right through the middle of a rolled back Red Sea into freedom. Freed men looking for the promised land on a conquest to find all that God has for them. That's the first account I'll mention to you. The second one's not quite as well known. You'll look this up on your own later. I'm sure it's found in Second Kings chapter 24. In 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 12, we begin to read the story of, of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was an Israelite that was named king of Judah. He, in fact, had already been elected and appointed and selected by God to serve as king of Judah. And he had been in that role for eight years. When all of a sudden uh, uh, he is captured by the Babylonian emperor Nebuchadnezzar and he's taken into exile. And Jehoiakim's story there through Second Kings chronicles the pain of what it's like to once be a king and now be a captive. 
It shows him isolated, forgotten, alone, uh, imprisoned in a cell. He's captive. He goes from being a prince to a prisoner. But now after he is settled in the cell, here in 2 Kings chapter 24, what we discover is that he's set free. And now the Bible says that he's living daily in the presence of the king. He goes from eating daily rations. Now he finds himself dining with dignitaries. He tasted freedom. Then in the New Testament, you're familiar with these two accounts. The first one is found in Mark chapter 5. It takes up almost the whole chapter. It's the, the, probably one of the most dramatic accounts listed of freedom. We find uh, the story of a man in the tightest confines of prison. This man is so bound by demons that we don't even know his name. We, we identify him by that condition. He's the demoniac. He's the one that is controlled by a legion of demons. He's so confined and so controlled. Controlled and so enchained by these demons that the Bible says that he takes up his residence not on Main Street. He goes out and lives in the cemetery. Get that in your mind. He's so bound that he literally lives in the cemetery. Some of y'all think your neighborhood is bad. Let me just do a little comparison, just make you feel better about where you live today. That's a pretty bad environment when you live in a cemetery. The Bible describes him that he was so bound spiritually that the, the, the imprisonment of his soul began to manifest itself in the natural. What was taking place inside of him in the supernatural was now beginning to manifest itself in the natural so that because he couldn't be set free, he was so bound up spiritually, it began to bind him physically to the point that men would come and try to chain him up and he would just bust the chains. He was so demonically controlled. But you know the rest of the story, one that was enslaved, one that was in bondage experiences freedom because the Bible says that one day Jesus pulls up into a cemetery living room and he steps off of a boat and he walks in and this demoniac comes out and confronts Jesus and in the blink of an eye, almost it seems like instantly, he, we find that this bound man, so controlled, nothing but a puppet in the hands of the enemy, he finds freedom and he's set free. We're not the only ones that have tasted freedom. The, the fourth account is also in Mark. It's Mark chapter 10. It's the uh, account found verses 46 through 52. Uh, it's the man that is seized by darkness and helplessness that has no future, who has no ability. It's the man who has no hope. He is so apprehended by his handicap that he is bound to the generosity of others to survive. His status in society is determined by his dilemma. We, we don't call him Bartimaeus. We call him blind Bartimaeus his condition defined who he was he's an outcast he's tossed aside as excess weight on society he's a parasite if you will because he's living on the the means of everybody else you know the account the account continues that as a common beggar and he's disrespected and a nobody but one day Jesus comes by and a prisoner is suddenly set free when he's given his sight back that's what freedom looks like that's what freedom tastes like that's what freedom feels like we claim we're the only ones free but there are others who have experienced freedom as well well uh there's a common thread, if you will, that is woven through these four accounts that I've uh, mentioned to you and referenced for you. And we would say that the common thread, the common denominator is that they experience freedom, and that is true. They all experienced freedom, but that's not 
the only common denominator because even though these stories were, some of them separated by hundreds of years and others of them separated by thousands of years, there is also another shared and crucial detail because it really didn't matter whether they were in bondage due to the enemy or whether they found themselves in bondage due to people or whether they found themselves enslaved by sin or sickness. It didn't matter. They all experienced freedom. But there's one other common denominator. It, it just It's just that I noticed as I read through these accounts that the Bible says that, that there was fabric involved. In, in each and every account that I read to you, uh, their story at some moment in their account Fabric is mentioned. I know that's kind of odd on an Easter Sunday morning, but would you just hang with me a minute because they experience freedom, but in all four accounts, their clothes are mentioned. Maybe that is appropriate for Easter. Let me see if I can help you. Let's go back to the four accounts, the children of Israel in Exodus. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 35, that when the, the, the last plague strikes and Pharaoh finally relents and he lets them go, the Bible declares in Exodus chapter 12 that the people, when they depart Egypt, they leave weighed down with gold and silver. They plunder the Egyptians, right? But do you ever, because we like to focus on the gold and silver, we, forgot to stop, we forget to stop long enough and read it really close because it also says that they took from their Egyptian taskmasters clothes. They trade in their slave clothes for a brand new wardrobe. They, they go out of Egypt and they discard all their slave clothes and they exchange them for freedman clothes. Okay, now stay with me. Stay with me. The second account, Jehoiakim. I'm going to read this one to you. 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 29. So, so now Jehoiakim's been in, in isolation. He's been in bondage. He's been stripped of his kingly robes and all that. And he's enslaved and he's in prison, right? God sets him free. Listen to what it says. So this is when God sets him free. So Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life, He ate regularly at the king's table. We miss that. We get so caught up on the freedom account that we miss this little aspect, this little detail, that after being in exile as a prisoner, the Bible tells us that on his release, Jehoiakim changes his prison clothes, and he literally goes from a rags to a riches story. Well, I go to the New Testament. Same accounts, the demoniac. Mark chapter 5, verse 15, Jesus has had this interaction with him and sets him free. Now listen to the description. When the neighborhood folks come up, they said they came up and, uh, to see Jesus, and they saw the madman sitting there wearing decent clothes and making sense. No lo- longer a walking madhouse of a man. Although this man once ran naked through the cemeteries like he had lost his mind, he has this freedom encounter with Jesus, and, he, and now he's sitting there in his right mind, and he's draped in the fabric of freedom. He changes his clothes. The final one, Bartimaeus, may be the most dramatic, because when Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming, the Bible says that he takes his cloak and he throws it aside. 
and we miss the ramifications, the, the, the insight into that because this cloak that he was robed with was a symbol to those who walked by that his situation was indeed legit, that he actually was handicapped. It was a badge of identification and clarification to the people walking by that he wasn't a scam artist. I wish they'd hand some out in Oklahoma City. They, 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 they distributed this cloak so that everybody that walked by would know he's legit, he's not faking it, he really is blind but when he hears that Jesus is coming by and that there's hope in that moment the Bible says in a moment of faith he takes that cloak and he throws it aside because he recognizes that if I can get to Jesus then freedom is within reach and I can change my clothes because I don't need prison clothes anymore I'm free well, this morning, wouldn't I be remiss if I didn't use the greatest example on Easter morning? Let me read it to you so the religious folks in the room will be comfortable so I, they can say I read a text. All right. John chapter 19, verse 38 through 41. This is the prison account. It goes like this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier who had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, they wrapped, they wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in, in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. You know this account. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah on assignment, sent as a sacrifice on a Friday after hanging on a cross, is now trapped in a tomb. Trapped. He's trapped by death. He is enslaved by death. He is overcome by death. He is there. He is experiencing the punishment and the separation that we deserved and that most of us still deserve. But that's only the first part of the story because there's a common thread that's woven through his story as well. The second half of the story is found in John chapter 20, verses 3 through 7. When it says this, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, in at the strips of linen. They were lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linens. This morning, that's the story of Easter. Sunday shows up. And Easter is, can be summed up in three simple words. I could stay up here and stand up here and try to take hours and tell you all about Easter, but I can sum it up in three words. He got up. That's all it takes. That's the only explanation you need. You don't need to read big commentaries to understand the, the story and the implications of Easter. He overcomes death. But what we miss is just, just like all the other accounts, it's freedom marked by fabric. When they enter the tomb, they discover that the grave clothes are cast off. He doesn't need them anymore. One version says they were folded. He was done with them. 
uh, one says that, he, that, the, that the garments had been placed to the side. He has a change of fabric, a change of clothes. A shroud has been exchanged for glory. The freedom experienced by the folks that I mentioned to you first, the four accounts I mentioned to you first, had implications for them and those around them. But the difference this morning is this final account that I've talked to you about with Jesus on Easter doesn't just have implications for him or those around him. It has implications for us. We can too experience freedom. So on an Easter morning, what we would like to do is offer you Jesus. The one that can bust out of any prison cell. The one that can overcome death, hell, and the grave. The one that can break any addiction. The one that can break any drug. The one that can overcome any sickness. The one that can restore any relationship. The one that can overcome every aspect of your life. We offer him to you. That's what Easter's all about. We know this because John tells us in chapter 8, verse 32 and 36, that this, that Jesus has this ability to set us free. He says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He goes on and he said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's talking about Jesus. Then Galatians comes along and drives the point home in chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Christ has set us free to live a free life. There are no off limits or unbreakable levels of bondage that Jesus doesn't have the ability to unlock. And we want you to experience the freedom that only He can give. But this morning I want us to be careful because I'm concerned that what we do is we often start there but we don't allow Jesus to go far enough in our lives. We, we need to go one step further and, and address the fact that our encounter with Christ should not only set us free, but should also produce a wardrobe change for us. It's fabric. It's all about the fabric. Let me, let me see if I can help you this morning. There are two basic fabric switches that we should experience as a result of the freedom that Jesus can produce in our life. And I want to share these with you and then I'll get out of your way. The first one is, and it's all in Isaiah chapter 61. I want you to notice what happens. This is a prophetic, a messianic promise about Jesus. He's talking about the, uh, what Jesus will do if we allow Jesus to come into our heart. Well, we know Jesus will save our soul. But I want you to notice what he says. The first is this, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. The first garment change is this, the garment of praise. Listen, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Here it is, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That is a prophetic promise to us that when you come to relationship with Jesus, you will experience a garment change and your life will be wrapped up with praise. What does that mean for us? That means the garment of bitterness is cast aside. The, bar, the, the, the garment of anger can be discarded. That means that depression can disappear. That means that sadness can be cast aside. That means that pain can be forgotten when you experience a relationship with Christ, because not only does he deal with your soul, he deals with your fabric. 
David must have understood this, that, that you can go from negativity and dread to praise and positive things because David says this in Psalms. He says, his praise shall continually be on my mouth. How in the world is that even possible, Steve? You don't know what I'm going through. What I know is this. If you encounter Christ as your Savior, but you let him deal with more than just your soul and let him deal with the fabric of your life, you can go through some unbelievably tragic things because David did. And yet your mouth can still be full of praise. Some of you in this room haven't met Jesus, and I just want to say to you this morning, you can meet Jesus and he can change your fabric. Some of you have met Jesus and you need to let him change the fabric of your soul because your mouth is supposed to be full of praise, but even though you know him as Savior, there's something wrong. You haven't changed your prison clothes. There's a second Garment that changes that we should experience. It's in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10. It's the garment of salvation and righteousness. The Bible says it like this. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. One version says it like this. A suit of salvation. And he's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. When you find freedom in Christ, we are clothed in salvation. We are clothed in righteousness. What does that mean? You can now have right standing with God. You have righteous living. When you get to meet, when you meet Jesus, he can adjust your entire life so that the way that you act, the, mo the, the moment you embrace Christ, our standing with God changes. And when we're covered with a garment of righteousness, it impacts our behavior as well. We live differently. When God sees us, you need to understand if you don't know Jesus this morning and you have an encounter with him, when you have that encounter with you, if you with him, if you will allow Jesus to do it, he will change and put a robe of righteousness on you so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. We're no longer shrouded by sin but rather we're clothed in a fabric of right standing. It changes our status with Him. Now here's our issue. See, um, our issue this morning is that uh, on Easter morning, we learned to dress up and play the part. Some of y'all went to Kohl's like at 10 o'clock last night, and some of you spent hours thinking about what am I going to wear, and, and you go out of your way to make sure that your Easter best are ironed and put into the right place and you stood in your closet last night and thought about what am I going to wear and, and you covered it up nice this morning and you look all nice and neat but my question this morning to you is this is if your clothes are right on the outside but on the inside you're still clothed like a prisoner then you haven't really truly experienced what Easter's all about Because it doesn't really matter if I know about freedom in my head. But I haven't allowed him to have uh, uh, the ability to go deeper into my life and expose the fact that deep down, I know y'all didn't plan on coming to the trip show on Sunday morning, Easter morning. See, because this is what we do. We cover it up. Some of y'all are professionals at this. Easter and Christmas. 
You know how to clothe yourself and you know how to talk the language of freedom. But in the, the, the reality is, is although that you know about Jesus, you've never allowed Jesus to change the fabric of your life and you clothe yourself on the outside to cover up what's really going on in the inside and you look free and you talk free, but God has never changed the bondage of your heart to the degree that you're clothed with praise and that you're clothed with righteousness and you're clothed with salvation and the story, the account of Easter this morning is simply this. God can change not only your heart, He can change your outlook on life, and He can set you free so that you go free indeed. It's the fabric of your life that we don't have to go around inferring freedom but still living like we're incarcerated and we don't just have to be free we can't we we don't have to settle for just being free constitutionally but being bound spiritually it is time to change your clothes it is time to allow the freedom the fabric of freedom to invade your life whether you've never met Jesus whether you've known about him all your life but or whether you actually had an encounter with him and said do something about my soul but I forgot to let him change everything else I'll close with this it's a story about Harry Houdini the greatest escape artist that may have ever lived and he had this claim to fame he claimed that he could escape from any jail cell the truth is he lived up to his word Time after time after time after time, they would take him and throw him in jail cells and they would frisk him to make sure he didn't have any keys on him, no tricks up his sleeves, and they would throw him in a jail cell. And within just a few moments, he would escape and they wondered why. Then one day, this is what happened. Harry Houdini was taken to a small town and he walked into a jail cell and, and they frisked him and threw him in the jail cell and they slammed this huge metal door behind him. And the account is is that when they had disappeared uh, out of his presence, that Houdini reached into his specially made belt that had the little piece of metal in it that he used to pick the lock. And when they were out of sight, he reached in and grabbed that little pick, and he began to work on the lock to no avail. Thirty minutes went later, went by, and, and he's still working diligently on the lock, assured that he's going to be able to get out. And after 30 minutes, he's frustrated, and he backs off from the door, and he goes back at it again. And an hour goes by, and he's getting more and more frustrated. And finally, after two hours, he's exhausted physically and mentally, and he's bathed in sweat. And so he just, in frustration, flops to the door and leans his back up against the door to rest for a moment. And when he does, the door swings open. Because the only door that he could never unlock was the one that was already unlocked. And what I came to tell you on this Easter morning is it is futile to stand around and in your own ability and with your own righteousness and with a positive attitude to try to unlock a door that only Jesus can unlock. But the good news is he's already unlocked it. And so you cannot escape sin on your own because it takes somebody that has the ability to unlock the door. He's already unlocked it. There's freedom for your soul this morning that will clothe you in righteousness and salvation and you say well I'm trying to have a better outlook I'm trying to have a better attitude I'm like doing all the Zig Ziglar positive thinking I know how to do but it just every day things go back then let the one that's already unlocked the door to your freedom step into your life and clothe you with praise that's what Easter's really about Easter's not just about saving your soul it's about changing the fabric 
of your life. So you never have to say this lie again because this is a lie. That's just the way I am. That's the way you are when you're dressed like this. That's not what you look like when you allow him to clothe you and change the fabric of your life. Father, this morning I pray that your word would penetrate our spirits. I pray that we would understand that we are free. That if we are in relationship with you, that we have freedom. If we're not in relationship with you, the great news on this Easter morning is that we can be free. We're thankful for that. Father, I pray this morning that you would go one step further and that you would set us completely free. Your word declares that you set us free so that we can really be free. And that deals with the fabric of our life. I pray that you would allow us to experience freedom at a degree this morning. That we would allow you to change the clothes that we wear because we're in prison. That instead, we would live a free life clothed in praise, salvation, and righteousness. I pray that you would accomplish this in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me for just a moment this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around other than my prayer team because I want them to be able to pray intelligently. If you're here this morning and you say, Steve, I have not asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I walked into this room enslaved. I'm in prison. I do not know Christ as my Savior. I know about Jesus, but I've never surrendered my heart to Him. What better day than on an Easter Sunday morning to surrender your life to Him? And Isaiah promises us that when we ask Him, He will clothe us with salvation and righteousness. If that's you, we will not embarrass you. We simply want to pray intelligently, put materials in your hands to help you on this new journey. If that's you, would you do this? Would you just raise your hand and then you can pull it right back down? I need to accept Christ. I Yeah, two, three, anyone else? Yes, yes, yes. Four or five hands. Father, you saw the hands this morning. Imprisoned folks. Folks bound by the tricks and the schemes of the devil. He's living up to his job description in John 10, 10. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's doing that in, the, in, in, in these lives this morning. But we also know that your word declares that you came to give us life. And so this morning, together corporately, we declare that you are the son of the living God. And we want a relationship with you. Would you just pray this with me out loud, all of us together, because we all need to be reminded on this Easter morning. Would you say this with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for taking on flesh. Thank you for moving into our neighborhood. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for taking my punishment. Experiencing my separation. And because you died on the cross, I can have relationship with the Father. I surrender my heart to you. I give you my life. Become my Lord. Become my King. Let me live for you. In fact, because you live, I now live. Clothe me with righteousness and salvation this morning. In Jesus' name. 
Father, we believe this this morning that your word declares that when we confess with our heart, we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, in that moment we're saved. It doesn't matter what we feel like. The truth is, is because we ask you, you've honored your word, and we're now sons and daughters clothed in righteousness and salvation. Father, for those that raised their hands, I pray this morning they would start this new journey with you. And from this moment forward, you would change their lives forever. And now, Father, I pray for those that know you, that need a garment of praise. God, there are folks in this room living through some tough things right now. Sickness that they didn't expect. Brokenness they didn't plan for tough things that cause our heads to go down and our hands to come down. But this morning, I pray that you would help us to remember that because we've encountered you and because you've saved our soul, we can also be clothed in praise. So, Father, I pray that you would change our perspective and our outlook on life and that we would become people whose mouths are filled with praise, even in the most difficult broken situations. I pray that instead when people bump into us rather than cursings and despair and disillusionment and and all of this stuff, God, I pray that instead we would be so full of praise that it would become contagious and it would overflow on those around us. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at your neighbor right now and just say to him, you look so much better when you're clothed with praise. And now will you do one more thing? Will you look at the person next to you that dolled all up for Easter and looks really good wearing a tie for the first time in their life? Would you look at them and say, hey, I like the fact that Jesus not only sets us free, but he changes the fabric of our lives. And then you can be seated this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.